This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. If you're interested in crazy stories from the wild world of organized crime, scams, gangs, cartels, mafias, drug dealers, and everything fun like that, have we got a podcast for you. The Underworld Podcast is hosted by two conflict journalists, Danny Gold and Sean Williams, who have reported on all sorts of dangerous people in dangerous places. Every week, they bring you a new episode on international organized crime from a new corner of the globe. You can find the Underworld Podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We are dealing with a problem in mass psychology. We seek to strengthen the tradition of the diamond engagement ring to make it a psychological necessity capable of competing successfully at the retail level with utility goods and services. We spread the word of diamonds worn by stars of screen and stage, by wives and daughters of political leaders, by any woman who can make the grocer's wife and the mechanic's sweetheart say, I wish I had what she has. These excerpts are from a 1947 strategy plan outlined by N.W. Air Advertising Agency. This agency is the very same one that announced to the world that De Beers diamonds are forever. But if diamonds were so intrinsically valuable, why would they require such aggressive marketing? No one runs commercials when a Picasso goes on sale. Diamonds are supposed to be the rarest, hardest, most valuable gemstone. So why did De Beers spend millions of dollars telling us we need them? Conspiracy? Maybe. Coincidence? Maybe. Complicated? Absolutely. (laughs) 
Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps us. I'm Carter Roy. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. This is our second and final episode on the conspiracy theories surrounding the De Beers Diamond Cartel. Last week, we covered the official history of diamonds and the De Beers Cartel. This week, we will delve into the two most viable theories revolving around the De Beers Diamond Cartel, the advertising theory and the New World Order theory. Both hold that diamonds might be one of the world's biggest scams. There are two conspiracy theories about the De Beers company that seem to hold their own, even after all of these years. The first is this. Diamonds do not retain their value. Instead, De Beers used aggressive and exploitative marketing tactics to get people to buy into the idea that diamonds are incredibly valuable and will increase in both sentimental and retail value over time. They did this while knowing that diamonds were not actually valuable and would only depreciate. The second conspiracy theory is this. Cecil Rhodes was using De Beers to set up a new world order. By centralizing wealth and power, they could establish one world power that controlled everything. Making diamonds appear more valuable and monopolizing the diamond trade was just the first step in consolidating world power. Some people believe that when a particular megagroup takes over, setting up their new world order, it could mean the end of the world for us all. And this is exactly what Rhodes and De Beers wanted. Diamonds were originally only found in the riverbeds of India. The gems were considered extremely rare, with only a few pounds discovered each year. Thus, they sold for a high price. This value and rarity encouraged worldwide exploration. People wanted more diamonds. From the rainforest of Brazil all the way to the castles of Europe, a diamond craze hit the globe at full force. By the 1870s, diamond mines were established all over South Africa and civilians, rich and poor, dedicated their lives to mining for diamonds. Cecil Rhodes was among them. Starting off at the bottom of the social hierarchy, Rhodes made his living in South Africa by renting water pumps to diamond miners. He used the profits to buy diamond fields of his own. With his fierce competitive spirit and strategic mind, Rhodes eventually went on to form the De Beers Diamond Company in 1888. In doing so, he created a monopoly on all production and distribution of diamonds going in and out of South Africa. De Beers had one goal utilize the scarcity of a diamond. In doing so, diamonds could be sold at incredibly high prices without any question. The company deployed shrewd advertising to deepen the public's desire to own a diamond. 
Prices continued to rise all the way until the Great Depression. And even an economic hit like the Great Depression could not stop the De Beers company for long. By this time, De Beers controlled around 90% of the world's diamond production and distribution. Though the monopoly's control has drastically decreased into the 21st century, the company still remains profitable and in high regard. However, there is a question lurking beneath the surface. What if diamonds aren't as valuable as De Beers made them out to be? What if the monopoly was all for nothing? What if diamonds stopped being rare and valuable after the new mines were found in the 1870s? The name became synonymous with swindle, con, the scheme that did not die with the man, Charles Ponzi. Consider the diamond trade as a pseudo-pyramid scheme. In pyramid schemes, investors are saddled with goods that are worthless or difficult to sell. Income is attained not by offloading these goods, but rather by bringing new people in to invest in the scheme. According to conspiracy theory number one, the De Beers cartel is essentially a pyramid scheme. The investments in diamonds are fraudulent because diamonds do not hold real value. However, the use of clever advertising made investors and consumers alike think otherwise and encouraged them to invest greatly into diamonds. Predatory marketing took money from hardworking Americans and put it in the hands of De Beers. Essentially, we've all been swindled. The theory goes like this. After the discovery of diamond mines in South Africa in the 1860s, the worldwide market was suddenly flooded with diamonds. The shareholders of the South African mines grew concerned that their valuable investment would be for naught. After all, the price of a diamond depended entirely on the lack thereof. The scarcer the material, the more valuable it was. With mines opening up on an international market, diamonds were growing more common by the minute. Investors feared they'd lose their capital once supply outweighed demand and diamonds lost their value. The motivation to maintain the value of diamonds forced all of the mines to merge together, in turn creating De Beers Consolidated in 1888. As one single but incredibly large entity, De Beers controlled the diamond mines not only in South Africa, but in locations such as Israel, London, Switzerland, and other countries in Africa. This way, they could control the supply hitting the market. The suspicious part about all of this was that while they held a monopoly, De Beers operated under different names, such as the Syndicate, CSO, and Diamond Development Corporation and Mining Services. So to the common people, these all appeared as different companies when in fact they were all puppets, and De Beers was the one pulling the strings. Is that really suspicious? Using different names in different countries could just be clever branding. Well, wouldn't it be alarming to the public to hear about a single company with global control over one industry? It would be best to keep that as quiet as possible. Perhaps. But the different names the cartel went by are actually one of the least suspicious things about the whole ordeal. De Beers convinced the public that owning a diamond was meant to confirm a high status in love, wealth, and power whether you were a celebrity or of a lower class. An investment in a diamond was a long-term one because of its everlasting quality and rarity. 
But there are, in fact, reports of many other gemstones that are much rarer and potentially more valuable than diamonds. For one, there is the red barrel. A cousin of emerald and aquamarine, the gem is found only in limited areas of New Mexico and Utah and considered very difficult to mine. Still, the rarity makes it very desirable to own. In fact, the International Gem Society itself stated that red barrel would make a wonderful alternative to diamonds. The trick is that one would have to find a red barrel first. And afford one. Prices for cut red barrel stones have been known to reach as much as 10 grand per carat. The same could be said for gemstones such as painite, tanzanite, and benitoite. Much like red barrel, these cut gemstones could run from a low of $1,000 per carat to an incredible high of $60,000 per carat. If you thought the price for a diamond ring was insurmountable, imagine paying for one of those gemstones. Red barrel was first discovered in 1904, 16 years after De Beers monopolized. Through the 20th century, more gemstones that were rare or as rare as diamonds were discovered. When the first diamond ads ran in 1939, diamonds were not the rarest gemstones in the world. We can see here that De Beers may have been manipulating the truth. Though again, that isn't uncommon in business or advertising. Diamonds were still considered to be valuable, a long-lasting investment. But they might not be. Conspiracy theorists believe that diamonds aren't actually a good investment. In 1970, a money-themed London magazine by the name of Money Witch decided to conduct an experiment to add evidence to this theory. This involved purchasing two high-quality diamonds for around 400 pounds apiece, that was worth about a thousand American dollars at the time, which was far more expensive than any other luxury items during the 1970s. Uh, to put it in terms that are easy to understand, 400 pounds could have been used to fill the gas tanks of nearly 100 cars or purchase nearly 4,000 cans of Campbell's tomato soup. In comparison, 400 pounds was quite the price to pay for something so small. Of course, at this time, in 1970, De Beers had convinced the people that diamonds were worth that price. A diamond is forever had been in the public's mind for over two decades at this point. With an investment of about 800 pounds total, money which expected each of their diamonds to increase or at least retain their value. Sealing the diamonds into a vault, the gems remained untouched for nearly nine years. When the diamonds emerged from the vault in 1978, the magazine expected to turn a high profit. However, Dave Watts, the magazine's editor, quickly realized that no dealers or jewelry stores in the London district were willing to pay even the original price for the diamonds. Watts barely made a profit. The highest offer that he received was 500 pounds for one of the diamonds which only equated to about a 100-pound profit in over eight years. I don't know. 100 pounds is a fine profit to make. Maybe if this was a profit for full tanks of gas or cans of tomato soup, but this was in regards to diamonds, which were said to increase in value due in part to their rarity. In fact, this was considered a depreciation in value, even when taking inflation into account. Ultimately, the experiment did not end up being worth the investment. 
This is mainly because Watts, as a seller, had no control over the prices over time. He couldn't sell the diamonds for the price he expected to. That price control went to De Beers. De Beers was the only one who could make money off of diamonds, since they fixed the prices. In this instance, yes, but that could be a one-off. Maybe the quality of the diamonds was not as good as reported by the magazine. Maybe Watts was selling at a bad time. Or maybe this is one example in a stream of them that confirms the value of a diamond is not worth the investment. Money Witch's experiment supports the theory that the diamond industry is intrinsically a pyramid scheme. On the very bottom, there are the everyday consumers, people like Watts. Despite being the biggest population in the industry, they hold very little control. Above the consumers are wholesale jewelers, such as the places Money Witch tried to resell their diamonds to. These include notable names such as Tiffany's, Harry Winston, and Cartier. These companies may be a smaller number than the consumers, but there's a bit more control. Above the jewelers are the diamond production companies. This sector's control depends wholeheartedly on the lower rungs continuing to do their jobs. The consumer needs to continue demanding diamonds, and the jewelers need to continue to sell them. Otherwise, diamond mining and production companies would fail. And on the very top, as to be expected, is De Beers Consolidated. In this analogy, they are the puppeteer pulling the strings. They are the man behind the curtain who has control of every single cog. Of course, we don't have proof that anyone at De Beers knowingly set up this pyramid scheme. Regardless, it is suspicious. While De Beers' marketing was incredibly clever, the consumers took it quite literally. Diamonds are meant to be forever. Even if a diamond necklace or tiara is only worn on special occasions, the expectation was to keep the gems stowed away for safety in jewelry boxes and vaults. You don't just get rid of a diamond. Imagine if the general public decided to sell off their diamonds after a few years, just like Watts had. The diamond market would suddenly be flooded by a mass availability of diamonds. And as stated before, the more diamonds available, the less each single diamond's value. Doesn't this seem like a big pyramid scheme orchestrated by De Beers? If diamonds are not the rarest gemstone and do not retain value, then why does the everyday consumer still desperately crave them? Why are we all buying in? We'll return to our story in just a moment. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly eBay gets it, so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. And now, let's continue our story. Proof that diamonds are neither incredibly rare nor intrinsically valuable certainly supports our first conspiracy theory that the diamond industry is one massive pyramid scheme. But the theory doesn't end there. 
Is there evidence that, even though they knew their product was essentially worthless, De Beers used predatory marketing tactics to sell diamonds to people who did not need them and could not afford them? Did De Beers take advantage of people around the world, all for their own gain? Through shrewd marketing, De Beers created a universal fixation for engagement rings. Rings were made the biggest cultural symbol and most important aspect of an engagement. From the 1940s onward, an engagement ring became a necessity to the everyday consumer, no matter their socioeconomic status. Even now, at a whopping average cost of around $4,000, around three-fourths of American brides are presented a diamond engagement ring during the modern proposal process. $4,000 per ring is quite a lot. And then consider this. According to the most recent U.S. Census, only 40% of Americans make over $40,000 a year. So for most of the population, that's 10% or more of their gross annual salary. Additionally, Americans under 35, the group most likely to get engaged, have an average net worth of less than $7,000. How is it possible for people to afford these rings? De Beers has always made it easy by accepting loans or providing payment plans. In their sales plan, the cost was never the issue for the consumer. The company simply needed the interest in the diamond, which the consumer already had. To this day, the obsession with diamond rings has not changed. For example, the 2013 Global Diamond Industry Report from Bain & Company reported that Americans spent approximately $11 billion on wedding jewelry in 2012 alone. And that was only three years after the Great Recession ended. The need for diamonds is far more psychological and desperate than logical. In addition to emotionally tempting the consumers, the NWA Advertising Agency also decided to appeal to one's desire for sophistication. The focus for De Beers Diamonds may have been on the everyday consumer, but the agency knew that they could also not lose sight of their biggest audience, America's rich and elite. That's where De Beers got the majority of their revenue, so there needed to be something extra special for the 1%. By the 1950s, N.W. Air introduced advertisements in high-end magazines, which showed the reproduction of famous paintings, but with the inclusion of De Beers diamonds. These spreads were meant to exude elegance and sophistication, the meaning being that De Beers diamonds were incredible works of art, just like paintings by Dolly and Picasso. It was a rather clever way to inspire an elite opinion on the product. De Beers found a way to appeal to all audiences. Everyone wants to be part of something special. Think of Charlie Bucket and the Golden Ticket, or Harry Potter and the Quidditch Snitch. They wanted to grasp onto something unique, just like diamond consumers. It ended up being quite easy for De Beers to make diamonds a commodity everyone strived to attain. And as the diamond business evolved, De Beers' questionable tactics evolved with it. According to the theory, De Beers once sold the scam that diamonds were both necessary and valuable, and now they're pushing that diamonds are only real if they come from underground. Remember, diamonds are a pure carbon allotrope. Because they're made only of carbon, 
the right technology can turn carbon into diamonds by applying immense heat and pressure to carbon, hydrogen, and methane. It mimics the natural process that happens underground and produces a chemically identical gem. It is incredibly difficult to tell the difference between authentic diamonds and synthetic diamonds. As recent as 2015, shipments of natural rough diamonds were actually revealed to be around 14% synthetic diamonds. But the latest diamond ad campaign, Real is Rare, Real is a Diamond, focuses on the value of real diamonds, those mined from the earth. Instead of investing in new technology and moving the brand into the synthetic diamond business, De Beers has gone the complete opposite direction. Over the past century, De Beers has vehemently railed against synthetic diamonds. In fact, the company has spent a sizable amount of money to create technological machines to detect and get rid of grown diamonds. De Beers and other members of the Diamond Producers Association, an organization that aims to protect the integrity of a diamond, argue that synthetic diamonds do not retain their value over time. However, synthetic diamonds seem to have an ever-growing market as we settle into the 21st century. Millennial buyers are simply not interested in spending excessive amounts of money on shiny rocks. But instead of investing in synthetic diamond technology, De Beers is running a campaign against synthetic diamonds. However, most of this could be written off as simply business. They have a product and they need to sell it. One could certainly look at it that way, but one last piece of evidence, and the strongest for this conspiracy theory, comes from Nicky Oppenheimer, former chairman of De Beers. Thanks to his family's business, he's the second richest person in Africa. Oppenheimer himself once said, quote, Diamonds are intrinsically worthless, except for the deep psychological need they fill, end quote. That sounds like he's openly admitting diamonds don't have the value purported by De Beers. Hearing that, how can we argue that De Beers didn't know the scam they were running? When you combine that with the predatory marketing tactics and investment in keeping diamonds a rare commodity, this theory is fairly strong. There's definitely enough to question De Beers' real intentions and wonder if diamonds were only marketed as valuable. I'd give this theory a 7 out of 10. We can't know for sure, but that last quote from Oppenheimer really sells it. I agree. On to our second theory now. Consider this quote from The Innocence of Father Brown, The Sign of the Broken Sword by Gilbert Keith Chesterton. Where does a wise man hide a leaf? In the forest. But what does he do if there is no forest? Well, well, cried Flambeau irritably. What does he do? He grows a forest to hide it in, said the priest in an obscure voice. A fearful sin. End quote. The question is, was De Beers part of growing a forest? If so, what were they trying to hide? That brings us to conspiracy theory number two. De Beers' purpose wasn't just to sell diamonds, but to set up a new world order. There are several variations of the new world order conspiracy theory, and we've discussed some of them previously, but as a refresher, the basic notion behind this theory is that the powerful and influential elite are either conspiring to form an authoritarian government or 
that they already secretly have. This can also be known as the shadow government theory or cryptocracy. Those who believe in this theory are convinced that very powerful figures and groups, anything from the De Beers company to the Clinton family to the Freemasons, have a globalist agenda for world domination. In the very near future, theorists predict that all monarchies and democracies will crumble and give way to a few select groups in charge of the government. In this variation, De Beers is one of many groups conspiring to create a new world order. The theory goes that any major financial, political, and social events that have occurred over the past century were actually fake and simply orchestrated by those seeking a new world order as a way to establish world dominance. The Great Depression? Nothing more than a stage crash by the government to ensure economic hysteria. The Bilderberg Group? a cover for New World Order leaders to meet together to discuss strategies for dominance. The list goes on and on. The New World Order theory was allegedly first published in 1966 by Mary M. Davison. Davison published a manifesto by the name of The Profound Revolution, making claims that the New World Order involved organizations such as the Federal Reserve, the U.S. government, and many more. She believed that these organizations were hiding in plain sight when it came to a shadow government. The manifesto served as a warning to the public to keep an eye on the big and powerful orchestrating major historical events to accomplish their political mission. The theory only appeared to gain more believers as the time went on, but it solidified on March 6, 1991, when George H.W. Bush gave a congressional speech about America in a post-world future. He referenced the New World Order, saying, quote, Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is the very real prospect of a new world order. End quote. Naturally, the wording scared conspiracy theorists. In my opinion, this was 100% a poor choice of words. Bush may have been speaking quite literally when he said this. Maybe so. Still, it was enough to incite a panic among those who thought they caught a double meaning. The concept feels like the setup for a dystopian novel. True. And while dystopian novels may have a basis in fantasy, there is authenticity that cannot be ignored. Look at authors like Ray Bradbury or George Orwell. Despite their seemingly unrealistic plots, there is a truth permeating the pages involving advanced technology and social change. It may be more hidden underneath the surface, but just like our first theory, there is evidence to back up this claim as well. It could be possible that De Beers was one of many groups conspiring to control the world. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. And now, back to conspiracy theories. Our second conspiracy theory, the De Beers New World Order Theory, traces its origins directly to De Beers' founder, Cecil Rhodes. As we discussed last week, Rhodes began life as a sickly young boy in England, but gained better health and confidence when he moved to South Africa to help his older brother with his farm. It was there he discovered the lucrative business of diamond mining. His early investments in diamond mines and mining technology led to the creation of De Beers Consolidated in 1888. 
Rhodes was known for his firm beliefs, clever rhetoric, and incredibly hard work ethic. Among those firm beliefs was his massive and public support of the British Empire appropriating the United States of America to form a massive global power. At the time, this concept was called Imperial Federation. Rhodes stood as one of the biggest advocators. He believed that being pro-Imperial Federation would facilitate worldwide peace and everlasting order. Here's a real excerpt from Cecil Rhodes' 1877 will. Quote, The only thing feasible to carry out this idea is a secret society gradually absorbing the wealth of the world and human minds of the higher order to be devoted to such an object. End quote. That sounds very similar to the wishes of those who supported the New World Order, wouldn't you think? Indeed. And, as we know, Rhodes was used to getting what he desired at this point in his life. He'd beaten all odds, after all. People did not believe he would make it to the age of 18, but there he stood, strong and confident and in control. Naturally, the power would go to one's head. In fact, Rhodes publicly expressed his desire to fund a secret society. This proposed secret society would be run by the British Empire as a singular government for the entire world. One government, one language, one currency. A powerful entity, just like Rhodes saw himself to be. Speaking about his ideal of a secret society, he said, quote, What a dream, and yet it is probable. It is possible. End quote. Rhodes' ideas later crystallized into the Roundtable Conspiracy, though Rhodes' untimely death would mean that he would not be around to witness the official formation. Essentially, the Roundtable Conspiracy involved a group of powerful Englishmen who wanted to establish England everywhere by taking closer control of the British colonies and former colonies, then annexing other countries. It's a more specific New World Order, and we have official proof Rhodes was interested in setting one up. The attempted establishment of England everywhere does fit in the context of De Beers' colonization of sub-Saharan Africa. Though the mines initially began in South Africa, De Beers Consolidated eventually took widespread control throughout the entire continent. As Rhodes stated in his will, the only way he could see that happening was the creation of the secret society who would, quote, gradually absorb the wealth of the world. De Beers literally dug the wealth out of Africa. Was this just business expansion? Or were there deeper motives here? Either way, De Beers' involvement in Africa did not bode well for the region. In response to De Beers' expansion, the sub-Saharan African government began to destabilize and workers were dealt cruel and exploitative conditions. Now, this could have all been a consequence of De Beers' desperate need to greedily monopolize the diamond resource. The destabilization of sub-Saharan Africa and the exploitation of workforces may have come only from greed and the resource curse. Or, now that we know more about Cecil Rhodes' personal desires for the world, could it have possibly been a plot to keep Africa weak and allow the British Empire to maintain control? After all, we cannot ignore the emergence of conflict diamonds, also known as blood diamonds. 
the diamond industry operated in war zones and helped finance those same wars. According to the New York Times, quote, as recently as the mid-1990s, diamonds from African war zones accounted for 10 to 15 percent of the world's supply, end quote. It couldn't just be by chance that the majority of De Beers' mines have resided on African soil, could it? Given the course of world history leading up to 1902, Africa would be the logical place to start establishing England everywhere. Europeans had already started taking over the continent and enslaving its people. However, all of the official reports insist that De Beers' diamonds are 100% conflict-free. That's just the official story. Blood diamonds are agents of homelessness, slave labor, and poverty in many places in Africa. But if we keep in mind De Beers' cutthroat colonization in this area, things begin to correlate in a suspicious way. And through the lens of this theory, one magnanimous action takes on a whole new meaning. Rhodes Scholarships were created in 1902 by the British philanthropist of the same name. Winners are selected on the basis of several criteria, including high academic achievement and personal integrity. Cecil Rhodes had only one dream as a little boy, to attend the University of Oxford. However, his poor upbringing and parents' overwhelming struggle with 12 children meant that dream of his had to be put on the back burner. But the desire stayed with him, even as he rose in the ranks of the diamond industry. Was there really any surprise when the creation of the Rhodes Scholarship bloomed in 1902? Named after Rhodes himself, the Rhodes Scholarship is a prestigious scholarship program for students who wish to pursue graduate studies at the University of Oxford. This scholarship was near and dear to Rhodes' heart. With this program implemented, his fortune now provides other young students with dreams the opportunity Rhodes never had. But the creation of the Rhodes Scholarship is a particularly strong piece of evidence for the De Beers New World Order theory. Rhodes' health was rapidly declining when he established the scholarship, and he wished to leave his mark on the world after he was long gone. As stated in his will, Rhodes' wish for forming the Rhodes Scholarship was selecting the best and the brightest, those marked for greatness. There was a catch, however. The scholarship program was initially only applicable to, quote, young colonists, who would encourage the, quote, furtherance of the British Empire, and specifically the betterment of Anglo-Americans. Rhodes believed that only this particular group of men would foster an imperial federation, with Oxford University as the education center of it all. Naturally, the requirements caused a controversial backlash. Not only did Rhodes seem to be encouraging Anglo-supremacist beliefs, the scholarship program was also deeply rooted in colonialism and sexism. In fact, women were excluded from applying for the scholarship until 1977. And even once they were admitted, they faced discrimination for being a female in a male-dominated program. When I showed up, it was, a, it was about change, and not everybody was happy about the change. And so what I've learned over the years is uh, uh, the way people act out on that is not very positive and very encouraging a lot of times. Though his hope for Imperial Federation was not obtained in his lifetime, Rhodes' scholarship program ended up being his biggest legacy. 
Many Rhodes Scholars have gone on to incredible careers in politics. In fact, the scholarship's prominent alumni include former United States President Bill Clinton, former Canadian Prime Minister John Turner, and three former Australian Prime Ministers. Countless other Rhodes Scholars became high-positioned officials in the Kennedy, Clinton, and Bush administrations, as well as heads of government and state everywhere, from Jamaica to Pakistan to Malta. It seems Rhodes has had a lasting and direct influence on world governments. If we take the New World Order theory into account, Rhodes Scholarship has seemingly and perfectly positioned figures to control the outcomes of very influential areas of the world. That's true. However, the scholarship was specifically intended to support careers in public service. The proliferance of Rhodes Scholars who gained political power is correlation, not causation. And to that point, by the end of the 20th century, around 32% of American Rhodes Scholars pursued careers in education and academia, 20% in law, 15% in business, and 10% in medicine and science. Not all of them went on to careers in government. But think about it. In 1991, Bush Sr. supposedly stumbled onto the words New World Order in a speech. By the time his eldest son, George W. Bush, takes over the presidency in 2001, there were a handful of Rhodes Scholars in the new administration. Yes. There's absolutely no question that the Rhodes Scholarship furthered the aspirations of countless bureaucrats and politicians. The entire ordeal is enough to make a skeptic wonder. Rhodes set up a scholarship fund that was so very specific to his own political and economic desires, and in return, those in political and economic power benefited from the program. Even after Rhodes' passing, wouldn't De Beers wish to continue the legacy? It was everything he fought for during the last remaining years of his life. It all follows a rather direct path. Rhodes creates De Beers Consolidated. De Beers begins to monopolize, which consolidates wealth and contributes to destabilization in Africa. This leads to an increase in value for diamonds, conflict-free or not, and more money for Rhodes and De Beers. Rhodes takes his share of that wealth and creates the Rhodes Scholarship, supporting bright young minds who shared his ideas. Recipients of the scholarship gain political power and spread Rhodes' ideology. De Beers and the Rhodes Scholars slowly take over the world to establish England everywhere and a new world order. If that is all true, De Beers would have been at the center of it all from the very beginning. It depends how far they were willing to go. At the risk of a continent crumbling under their feet, could one company really go to such lengths? We must remember that this all wholeheartedly depends on the belief that a group of people is actively trying to take over the world and establish a new world order. The clearest evidence against this is the independence gained by former British colonies over the past century. Over 50 countries have gained independence from British rule since 1902, and many of them were in Africa. If there was a massive conspiracy for Rhodes Scholars to establish England everywhere, wouldn't all of those former scholars with political power have worked to stop those revolutions? Fair point. If the Round Table conspiracy ever was in existence, 
it failed to bring about its new world order. Indeed. On a believability scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being likely and 1 being unlikely, we give this theory a 3 out of 10. It's a compelling idea, but it's more likely Rhodes and De Beers were motivated by greed and racism than world domination. While the Rhodes Scholarship Program's connection to New World Order is interesting to delve into, the entire thing is simply too far-fetched. Now that we've covered our two theories, it's time for the verdict. After much thought on the facts, history, and questions at hand, it's our belief that conspiracy theory number one is more likely. De Beers did purposefully deploy deviously manipulative marketing strategies to convince the everyday consumer that diamonds were, in fact, more valuable than they actually were. And it was all done in the name of business. It is not all too shocking that industries and companies would have to adapt ferociously to maintain their profits and prestige. While De Beers' monopoly has rapidly declined in the 21st century, it was not due to a lack of them trying. They simply faced more aggressive adversaries, such as the rise of synthetic diamonds and the waning interest in frivolous materials. Taking this all into account, it makes the most sense that diamonds do not retain their value as previously reported. The diamonds are not forever. Actually, that may not be quite true. While diamonds may not hold their financial value over the years, we can't ignore how clever De Beers was to also increase the sentimental value of the stone. An engagement ring is still a staple in today's society. It's quite common for people to eagerly ask the new betrothed to get a glimpse at the beautiful ring. Diamonds are still used for promise rings, friendship rings, and so many more. So even if it can be proven that the cost is not worth the material, you can never take away the smile on one's face when they show such a prized possession. The emotional significance of a diamond does last forever. And that is all thanks to De Beers. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you want to hear more Conspiracy Theories, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. Tell us your favorite Conspiracy Theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week for more Conspiracy Theories. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Maya Houston and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.